Welcome to Hospitality and Politics. I'm your host, Andrew Ridgey, and this show is powered by the New York City Hospitality Alliance, which is the trade association representing restaurant and nightlife venues throughout the five boroughs. We as New Yorkers know that life is 24 hours. Everyone needs to be social. Everyone needs to be connected. And sometimes you need to let go, and sometimes you need to celebrate, and sometimes you need to mourn, and sometimes you're looking for love, and it's not a luxury. Nightlife isn't a luxury. It's a necessity. Today, I have an incredible guest. Her name is Ariel Pallets. You may know her as the nightlife mayor of New York City, but her formal title is the senior executive director of the New York City Office of Nightlife. We're going to talk about what this title means, what her office does, and why it is so important to the city of New York, our nightlife industry, and our nightlife economy. You should subscribe if you love the show. Wherever you get your podcast, just search Hospitality and Politics. You should review, share on social media, and please leave a comment if you love what you hear, even if you don't. Let us know. We'd love to talk about it. You can find the NYC Hospitality Alliance on social media at the NYC Alliance. That's at the NYC Alliance, both on Twitter and Instagram. We're also on Facebook and LinkedIn, New York City Hospitality Alliance. And if you want to find me, Andrew Ridgey, that's at Andrew Ridgey, A-N-D-R-E-W-R-I-G-I-E, on Twitter or on Instagram at Political Foodie NYC. I am here with a very, very, very special guest. Her name is Ariel Pallets. She is the Senior Executive Director of the Office of Nightlife in New York City. Her position is also colloquially known. Is that a word, colloquially? Am I pronouncing that correctly? Colloquially known as the nightlife mayor, not nightmare, because sometimes <laughs> it can be construed as saying nightmare. But she is the nightlife mayor, the senior executive director of this incredible office of nightlife. And I like to refer to her as her nightness. Hello, Ariel. Hello, Andrew Ritchie. So a quick background. You were... Appointed uh, to this job by Mayor Bill de Blasio in 2018. This was a result of New York City Council Member Rafael Espinal's legislation that established an office of nightlife. And for people that don't know what this office is, we will explain that in detail in just a bit. But you are a lifelong New Yorker. You owned and operated a nightlife establishment. You've been on community boards. And I've always thought you'd be the perfect person for this role. So I'm very excited that you have been in it for uh, some time right now. So let's just get into it right now. Like, what was the process like for you when you heard New York City is creating an office in nightlife? Why did that ring true with you? And you thought, I need this job. Well, really, it was other people that were reaching out to me and saying, did you hear about this? You'd be perfect for this. You need to apply for this. I mean, even though it was sort of a new office and new news in New York, I think um, the idea of the creation of an office of nightlife had been discussed um, in small rooms at the New York Nightlife Association and in the Alliance as we were observing 
these offices springing up around the world. So, yeah, that's right. So the concept isn't really new. Basically, we talk about nightlife and the nighttime economy and how vital it is to the economic footprint of cities, but also the cultural fabric and the cultural capital that cities have. And so often, I think nightlife is often looked at as an afterthought. There's not much planning that goes into it. There's not much managing that goes into it. So you have these great iconic nightlife establishments that open. They have all this cultural impact and then they close or then neighborhoods change and there's residential complaints about nightlife venues. So I think originally the Office of Nightlife was an idea to help cities manage and support the nightlife industry and address all of these different issues that come up when you have a vibrant nightlife industry. So um, in your own words, what do you think the Office of Nightlife is to the city of New York? Well, very often when I explain that, you know, I'm in this position and there's this new office, more often than not, people are actually surprised that there has not been one before. The size, uh, the economic size, the cultural size, the impact of our on our identity as a city um, really uh, calls for a dedicated office to uh, be a liaison between the city, its services, and this industry that, as our uh, economic impact study showed, is a $35.1 billion industry. $35.1 billion. That is a lot of money. And, um, you know, ancillary impact on the entire ecosystem uh, that is generated uh, by nightlife supports 300,000 jobs, 700 million in tax revenue. And that's just the numbers. I mean, we as New Yorkers and I think people all over the world know that life is 24 hours. You have your work and, you know, your family, but everyone, you know, needs to be social. Everyone needs to be connected. And you, sometimes you need to let go and sometimes you need to celebrate and sometimes you need to mourn and sometimes you're looking for love and it's not a luxury. Nightlife isn't a luxury. It's a necessity. And I think a lot of the issues that we have surrounding nightlife, whether it be disproportionate enforcement or lack of respect and appreciation for the industry or quality of life issues, these have all sort Sort of escalated over time because the city in general, and this is global, has historically had a reactive approach rather than a proactive uh, management approach and seeing this as an asset versus a burden or a cause of problems. A lot of city agencies and city work is based on a daytime model. Monday through Friday, nine to five, and nighttime sort of adopts the daytime approach when we know that nightlife have issues and concerns and realities that are very unique to life at night. So we're talking about the other nine to five. Yes. That we really need to focus on. Now, I want to get into some of the initiatives that your office has been doing to address all these matters related to nightlife, but I did tease a couple of items when we did the introduction. So I want to talk a little bit about you and why you are relevant in your this position. What's your history in nightlife? Well, it does feel like a natural progression of my life in general. Um, you know, growing up in Manhattan, usually at about 
you know, 13 years old, you sort of, I like to say, you go from spin the bottle to bottle service, <laughs> you know, because there's no real in-between if, as a teen, a young teenager in New York. There aren't really that many after-school programs and stuff. You sort of just segue into nightlife as, uh, as a kid. And um, I just always felt so alive, and I felt New York was really its best at night, the diversity, the music, the energy. And so that's where I always felt right. And I was a promoter in clubs like Tunnel and uh, Mars Nightclub. Eventually, I started doing event planning because it was like being a promoter, but in I a see perfect, you doing air quotes yeah. right now. <laughs> so I went from like promoting in clubs to doing event planning. And um, again, just the sociability and bringing people together, creating a vibe. Um, and eventually that led to the opportunity of opening and operating my own lounge called Sutra on the corner of First and First in the East Village. Tell us, what was Sutra all about? I mean, I know, but yeah. for people that don't know, enlighten. Well, you know, it, again, it was on the corner of First and First in the East Village. It was the crossroads of not only New York, but in my opinion, the whole universe. And we wanted it, I wanted it to be a representation of the diversity of New York. I wanted it to be hip hop, reggae, rock and roll. And that was what our goal was. It was really an underground DJ driven dance lounge. Um, and we really achieved the like, no drama door policy, come one, come all, good vibe, good music kind of place that a lot of people um, even yearn for today. People always are bummed that it was gone. But on Tuesdays, we did Toka Tuesdays with Tony nice. Touch. Um, we had Cool Herc, Melly Mel, Kid Capri, Bambada, you know, all the greats that for we're really just from around the way you know we wanted to make space for especially the hip-hop community for so long was really a bad word like if you did a hip-hop party like it equated like danger or violence so what was your experience being a female bar club owner having a lot of hip-hop parties rock parties you name it i mean it was epic it was uh i, I, I in looking back it's almost hard to believe it actually happened i mean it was a 250 capacity we were doing three, four hundred people in and out a night, and it was incredible. That it was like the UN of nightlife. Just people from all walks of life. Anything could happen. Usually did at four o one a.m. Just when you thought. <laughs> and because four a.m. is closing time, or when you need to stop selling. <laughs> that's alcohol. right. So just when you think it's over, that's when it just starts. But it was an incredible opportunity to be able to cultivate. Um, culture and to make space and to really let people be themselves. Well, obviously, you take all that experience and knowledge to your role now at the Office of Nightlife, but you also were on a community board. And I also want to say, in all transparency, I'm the vice chair of Community Board 7. So I am very familiar with community boards and liquor licensing and sidewalk cafes and these other issues that the Office of Nightlife is supposed to deal with and help manage and interact with on a regular basis. And I know you were on a community board and you were on the licensing committee as well. So I'm sure that provided a unique uh, experience and gave you a lot of interesting in 
insights from the other side of the table. So not just being the bar club owner, but you could see it from the resident community side as well, even though I'd like to say that nightlife is part of the community. And it is. I mean, just to like backtrack for a second, I mean, there was a lot of the kumbaya awesome, great stuff about owning a bar. But, you know, the reality is when it comes to inspections and operations, you know, March operations that would come at 12 o'clock on a Friday night, you know, being a primarily, you know, hip hop driven venue with other genres, like we had a lot of attention, um, not always positive. It was very stressful. Basically, anything that you could have gone through, we were nuisance abated. We Can you explain what is a nuisance abatement? When you are deemed by the state liquor authority and the police to be a nuisance and you get shut down um, because we had a lot of 311 calls. We actually um, were the number one noisiest bar in New York for a while with the most 311 calls. But actually, it was because it, it was an anonymous call system. And we had one neighbor in particular that realized how you can really utilize, some would say weaponize certain enforcement channels to target a place. And so it wasn't just all the good times that inspired me and prepared me, but it was really going through a lot of the hard times and defending oneself and trying to be compliant and as good an operator and as good a neighbor as possible, but also to be successful and having lines down the block. But how do you contain that? I mean, it's a constant battle for balance and compliance and making everyone happy and not getting in trouble and people being safe. So really living through that um, is, I think, what prepared me even more than throwing great parties, which was the fun part. And because I had gone through so much of that, I had never owned a bar before. I was just a promoter, really. Um, So you learn as you go. Trial by fire. Yes. And because I was at the top of this 311 call list. It is what really activated me. Let me just say quickly, 311 is an incredible city service where you basically call the numbers on your phone, 311, and you can get access to all the different city services. One of the things people can do, and there's a lot of concern, is sometimes you may have one disgruntled person that may continually call 311 and lodge complaints against a fellow resident or a bar in this case. And there's a lot of concern because it can be an anonymous complaint uh, as well. So you don't even know sometimes if it's the same person calling 30 times about a non-existent issue. But then the city has to use resources and even send out city agencies and inspectors to determine whether or not a violation or something exists. So, you know, I think it's trying to find a balance between different interests and make sure that residents can, you know, hopefully live and be happy and not be disturbed too much, but is uh, still allow nightlife venues and people to go out and celebrate and enjoy themselves. Yeah. And so I definitely uh, bring that um, experience and attention to the table, right? Having lived through that I think, first of all, I, I appreciate you saying like 311 is a great thing. You know, it, you can have any kind of problem and any kind of question and just call that number. 311, I think the intention for sound complaints is good, but I think also it is a bit incomplete in the sense that what we're doing at the Office of Nightlife is what we've introduced to that 
process of what we call the the fine line between tolerance and torture that <laughs> everyone has. What people want is immediate relief. When you feel like that line has crossed and you can't sleep and you call 311 and not the bar, right? Or you don't have a relationship with the bar and now you're waiting and waiting for a response that maybe comes days later. Your frustration, your tension, your feeling of being disrespected comes out and then it creates a contentious relationship with your neighbor that you may have never even met before. So the Office of Nightlife has introduced this mediation program where if you call us or the bar, we will set up a mediation for communication and compromise. And so that rather than calling 311 or the precinct or your community board or everyone else, you speak with the source. Right. I like to say just as a joke, you know, like back in the day, if you lived above a loud bar, you'd go down with a bat and come back, come back up with a bottle of wine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I think humanizing the relationship, humanizing the industry, humanizing the neighbors is a large part of what we do. You know, to come back around to your question about the community board, I was on community board three for six years on the licensing committee. Some call one of the most notorious community boards. Um, like we would have 30, 40 applicants per meeting and be there for six, seven hours till two in the morning. And very strong feelings um, on all sides. And it was an incredible opportunity to be able to get the full picture. Again, because I was the number one noisiest bar for so long, it activated me to, number one, figure out how can I defend myself? Am I really the noisiest bar? Is that possible? And seeing whether or not bars that were being categorized as bad operators was justifiable through an anonymous call system and not necessarily through summonses. So I love the mediation idea. Um, you know, I think most people, they understand it. People like to go out. They themselves like to go out. But when you have a high concentration of nightlife and residents, um, just by the nature of that dynamic, there's going to be conflicts that may arise. It might not even be a high concentration. It could just be that one place that you live above. It doesn't matter if there's 10 or none around you. This is a very personal experience. So explain that process to me, because I think mediation is so important because you can bring all the stakeholders together and say, listen, here are the issues. And mm -hmm. you can really try to work together to come up with creative solutions to, you know, if not totally eliminate, help mitigate what those different concerns are in a way that is fair and equitable mm -hmm. to all the parties. So can you give me the anatomy of uh, mediation through the Office of Nightlife? Sure. Well, first, I'd like to say that I also did get trained in mediation at the New York Peace Institute, which also trained the NYPD neighborhood um, community officers. So the process is really about bringing all parties together. Sometimes it's a whole building of people and a venue. The community boards will reach out to us or a NCO officer or even a venue to say we are having, 
usually if it's chronic, right? Like it's been going on for like a year or more and like the levels of frustration are really, have really hit a critical point. We will always ask when they call, well, have you spoken to the venue directly? Most of the time it's no which is interesting. So we hear from the from the neighbor and then we call the venue and get their perspective on the situation. And then we will ask if they would be open to sitting and meeting with each other to share their experiences and to find ways of compromising and um, changing and also being able to have direct communication with each other. I also happen to live above a really loud bar. So you know firsthand. So what's what's been your experience when you've reached out to the nightlife venue mm-hmm. about this mediation? Do they automatically get defensive? Do they embrace it? Because it's something new. I'm sure in a couple of years, people will be more familiar with this process, but it must be a unique experience to be a bar owner, get a call from the New York City Office of Nightlife to say, hey, we hear there's been some concerns in the community. We want to bring all the stakeholders together and mediate. And I can imagine there's different reactions, but what's been your experience? Most of the time it's relief. Oh, really? Interesting. And what kind of relief in what way? I would love to meet with them. We've been trying to find out who they are. Again, sometimes because it's anonymous, they don't know until they're being called into the community board for a history of complaint. And I also think that for the neighbors, it's a relief. You know, for people who genuinely want to improve the quality of their life and the quality of being able to run their business, they want a solution. And often through 311 or other measures, it's all about enforcement. I find that people don't always necessarily want to shut down a business, but when you're calling the police and the DOB and the SLA and the community board, this is about summonses and um, stipulations and sometimes revocation when all they want is for you to turn it down. I owned a bar for 10 years. I live above a bar and I personally have a certain level of tolerance when things start shaking around me and my face is vibrating like everybody feels that way and I think it also comes down to a feeling of respect I've always said even like bar fights and neighbor fights it all comes down to people feeling disrespected you know if people feel like I can call that bar and then they respond immediately on a text because it's not about saying it's going to be turned down forever and you're never it's creating an inaudible situation. It's about responsiveness and about respect and saying, yes, I hear you. I'm sorry. And they bring it down. And then you have a sense of relief and you have a sense of relationship. And we have done this a few times. You know, we have actually over 80 cases of all types of intervention that our office is doing. And And the relationship building and the communication and the feeling of respect really does make a big difference. So on the onset, I didn't say this, but the legislation that created the Office of Nightlife also established a 14-member Nightlife Advisory Board, members that are appointed by the mayor and the speaker of the city council. I was one of the appointees, and then I was elected the chair. And we have several duties, one of which is we are going to be developing recommendations uh, for nightlife policies, reforms, support systems, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. As are we. As is your (laughs) office as well. Um, And it's been a really fascinating experience because I did attend your borough 
town hall meetings, which were very interesting. We also hosted uh, several dozen uh, different nightlife stakeholders and asked them to come in, speak with our advisory board about the issues that are important to them. And often because, you know, I run the New York City Hospitality Alliance, I'm dealing directly with the bar, club, restaurant owners. So we're talking about permitting and licensing and red tape and all of these different issues. But what's been fascinating when we talk about the Office of Nightlife, and I think you implied it or said it directly before, that nightlife is really all-encompassing. And it means so many different things to so many different people. And they have this real emotional attachment to it. So we had you know nightlife operators come in talking about challenges with you know labor costs and real estate costs and the permits and licensing and other bureaucracy that they need to deal with. But then we had people coming in from the LGBTQ plus community and they were talking about how people from that community often find safe spaces and places where they can find themselves and express themselves within the nightlife community. And even homelessness, how a lot of times the youth, they will go stay in a nightlife venue until 4 a.m. when they close because it's somewhere that they can be safe and be around people. And then we had residents coming in that expressed different concern. And it really showed that so many different people are connected to nightlife and there's so much opportunity for this office to help people, support people, and ensure we have a vibrant nightlife and nighttime economy here in the city. So throughout your experience doing these borough town halls, and I know you've done lots of other meetings with lots of different people. Are there a couple things that have kind of popped in your mind or really stuck with you about the importance of nightlife in people's lives and what your office can do basically to help them? Well, yeah. Let's hear. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the whole purpose of having those preliminary town hall meetings was to bring together all the stakeholders, what we even call an ecosystem, the owners, the employees, the performers, the patrons, as well as the residents, all in one room, right? In a non-enforcement setting, not a community board, not a hearing, everybody just all together. And then on stage with me, we had representatives from over 10 agencies, including the State Liquor Authority, Police Department, Fire Department, Health Department, all the, the agencies that had nightlife oversight, not to really speak, but to listen, and for everybody to listen to each other, and for us to hear what are the most repeated and primary concerns, because it is so vast. How do you even begin to frame it in a way that you can be productive? And so we were able to boil it down to five primary priorities, although we do venture outside of that. First, as you mentioned, you know, red tape and regulation, streamlining, working with agencies like small business services with their SB1, um, working with the Alliance, helping people understand the processes in advance before they open, when they open, and then when they're in a jam, right? If you can't get your certificate of occupancy for two years because your landlord is trying to obstruct for whatever reasons they have, 
they can call us again for chronic and consistent problems that don't seem to find a, re- a resolution because we can't play a game of whack-a-mole for every single problem out there. We're not a reporting agency or enforcement agency, but what we're trying to do is find systemic problems that we can find solutions to to avoid this reoccurrence. So here's a systemic problem or a problem that at least persists. And I know you've been working to try to address it. And recently there was some press that was very positive and some that was somewhat critical. Um, You talk about the neighborhood that you're in uh, and you're on the Lower East Side. And when there's this high concentration of nightlife venues, there's residents and you put together the Nightlife Owl Etiquette campaign? Is that the name of it? It's close. I mean, basically, you know, the the red tape and regulation is one bucket. Quality of life is another bucket. Harm reduction in safe spaces is another bucket. Disproportionate enforcement and social justice is another bucket. We see so many issues around disproportionate enforcement, um, black and brown communities, LGBTQ, women um, around issues of women and men and all genders around consent. So it's so much more is what I'm saying than just red tape and regulation. It really gets to the heart of who we are in the community and making sure that there are safe spaces where communities, marginalized communities can congregate safely and freely and affordably. And the quality of life aspect is so big, as you mentioned, because it is what creates so much conflict in being able to continue to operate. All of the enforcement agencies, police, fire, health, building, state, they're all complaint driven. No complaints, so no. what are you doing to reduce the complaints? So right. I mentioned this initiative, um, which I think, by the way, is do is exactly what this office is supposed to be doing. It is supposed to identify issues that exist and come up with creative solutions to try to eliminate right. or mitigate whatever the situation Systemically, is. Systemically, not just for each individual place. And then you need to also be willing to adjust when you find what works, what doesn't work. So you rolled out this uh, well, what campaign. Well, we called it. Because again, I, I, you know, have lived on the Lower East Side for like almost 25 years, owned a business there, was on the community board there, still live there, live above a bar there. Um, I've heard every single complaint that there can be. And um, at a certain point, you have to say, now what? Right? And so I've had visions back before I had this position of what could we do to make this work, right? The no more, more bar l- movement is not necessarily realistic. Bars open and close on a regular basis. People, when they like say, well, why don't you just move to Connecticut? That's not a realistic solution, but those are like the only two that really ever seem to come around. So what are the practical solutions? Uh, I came up with the Lower East Side Quality of Life Improvement Plan. It is intended to be a pilot, so to speak, in the sense that if we can make it work in the Lower East Side, which has the most concentration of liquor licenses, I think only second to Austin, I think was the last time we checked. If we can make improvements on quality of life and communication um, and coexisting there, we can do it anywhere. So in this particular area, between Houston and Delancey, down Orchard and Ludlow. 
These are traditional Lower East Side streets with very narrow, 20-foot wide uh, streets that three lanes of traffic where it's actually just parking on the east and west side and just one narrow lane for all of the cars to go through. Hundreds and thousands of cars every weekend, plus sanitation trucks, plus enforcement vehicles, ambulances, police. So tons of congestion and that relates or results in noise and... Well, horn honking... And also just general tension, right? When there's horn honking and sirens and people trying to find their Ubers, the congestion and tension together is what people complain about. There's people running around and there's horn honking and there's the stress level of the chaos that it creates. In addition to the complaints about sound, there's also the complaints about the remnants of filth, pizza plates, you know, all the garbage that lands all over the street the next morning. I always found that people weren't really complaining about nightlife. They were complaining about the byproducts of nightlife, right? So what are you doing? So what are the exact programs that are part of this So it's a combination of things. Again, back to the idea of proactive management and addressing the issues that are unique to life at night. Traffic and people and and sanitation all moves differently at night. So what we did was we looked at these narrow streets with parking on both sides that created congestion. And we said, how about no overnight parking on these two narrow streets? It's a six block area so that cars can pull over. Um, Four hire vehicles, yellow cabs, people can pull over in case there's a cop or an ambulance behind them trying to get through. And then additionally, what we discovered was that the sanitation trucks, the sweeper trucks, were coming through at midnight, between 12 and 3, in the middle of business. And so we approached the Department of Transportation, as well as the community board, for their blessing on changing the parking regulations. And we went to the sanitation department to change their sweeper schedules to start sweeping after bars closed. And then we went to the local bid and said, you guys have a whole street team of cleaners and power washers. Come after the sweepers and let's actually do this in concert. Let's do this in a way that makes sense to actually address the issues. Similarly to that very street that has pickle day. The next day, because they reorganized the way that the city services work together, the next morning it's all clean. And this initiative has taken effect? Yes. How has the initial response been with removing the overnight parking? So far, so good. Most people that are parking there don't live there. Uh, most are coming from out of the area. And so I think it, it, it jibes with the general idea of trying to lessen congestion in the city. And I think because it's been over a decade of complaining and stress about these same things, we have to do something, right? And there is room for, you know, to adjust. And I imagine with changing the sanitation street sweepers, instead of people coming out of their building in the morning, going to work, and having all the leftovers on the street of nightlife, they're hopefully generally cleaner than they were. And like you said, it's a work in progress. Instead of saying, damn nightlife, it's like, oh, 
You know, it's not really damn nightlife. It's damn pizza plates, you know. And actually, they would sweep the garbage underneath these parked cars, and then the parked cars leave. And, yeah. But in addition to that, we also added what you mentioned, which was the nightlife owl, nightlife wisdom. Yeah. yeah. You know, basically, there are these digital kiosks around the city now that have popped up where you can plug your phones in and dial 911 or I don't know what you can do. And they have digital campaigns. So we um, went to NYC and Co. And we came up with this campaign where we have a little night owl and it has reminders for people to be cool and act like a New Yorker. You know, your night out is someone else's night in. Hashtag be cool. So it's like a cool... Public service announcement that hopefully influences people's behavior and at least raises awareness about the different issues that are going on, yeah. but doing it in a more playful, fun way. You can so put it's not on just glitter, like just don't litter. <laughs> and bringing, you know, a certain lightheartedness because a lot of these are very heavy issues. But what I would want to say overall. The creation of the Office of Nightlife and everything that we're doing is really about a reframing and re-education of the importance of nightlife and what it brings to the city. And I think it's about trying to instill some more respect and appreciation and support in a way that acknowledges all of its contributions. And in the words of the mayor, trying to make the city more fair, we're trying to make nightlife more fair. Nightlife fair for the owners, the workers, the patrons, and the residents. And that's really our main focus. We'll definitely have to have you back on because I know being a new office and having so much work to do and just first off to even establish systems and put them into place so your office can operate efficiently is an enormous task. So we'll want to have you on to talk about future initiatives, how the current initiatives have been working, if you've had to tweak them. But before you go, I just want to talk about the state of nightlife. You know, I know there's been studies showing that there's been a huge decline in live music venues. When you talk to people, they say, well, this nightlife venue's changed. This one is shuttered. What's your opinion about the state of nightlife? Are certain people just nostalgic and Currently, there's people that are going out enjoying themselves at some really cool venues, and maybe they're just enjoying themselves in a different way than people were a decade or two decades ago. Or is there something that's fundamentally challenged about nightlife in New York City in 2019, almost 2020? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, all of that's true. Things fundamentally change and evolve all the time. You know, people's reminiscence of old New York, which I grew up in, which was amazing. A lot of that cool underground activity was happening because so much was illegal. You know, being gay in public, the cabaret laws where you couldn't dance, you know, primarily in black and brown venues. There was an underground cool culture because everything was actually underground. So the fact that things are a little bit looser and more above ground means that hopefully there is more human rights and less of a need to be underground, but also maybe a little less fun in that sense. I think just the awareness and understanding that things do change and they're not ever going to be as cool as it was when you were growing up, but also to understand that 
it's so cool for those who are young and enjoying it now and who have nothing else to compare it to. And I think I'm, for a long time, people were saying New York is dead. New York nightlife is dead. Some people even still say that. But there's also a lot of people who are like, wow, there's such a good energy in New York nightlife now. There's so much to do. There's so much diversity of experience. And I think equally, it does have an upturn. I think the creation of the Office of Nightlife in and of itself was a sign that the city respects and appreciates the industry in a new way and is working to support it. I think that the repeal of the cabaret law was also another signal that we do have the right to dance and we do have the right to go out at night and it isn't a criminal act. And yes, the affordability issue and commercial rents and community boards that also make, you know, decisions on the culture of live music venues and who can play and who can't play. It is an issue. We have to preserve live music venues. New York is a place where live music, culture, rock, punk, hip hop, electronic, we are the birthplace of New York culture. And you have people from all around the world living here, visiting here that want to go out and experience. Exactly. It's worth fighting for. It's worth defending. It's worth protecting. And that's what we hope to be able to do from this position. So last thing, the Office of Nightlife, even that title, Nightlife Mayor, it sounds super fun, super exciting and interesting. But I know when you're in government and, you know, there can be frustrations, there's different challenges. What keeps you going? Like, why do you care about this so much? I mean, it's not about me. You know, it's about New York. It's about New York's soul and culture and economy. And I do it because I love New York and I love nightlife and I love people. And this is who we are. And for so long, it has seemed unfair and an us against them. And to be able to be in the position to be able to raise the profile and to raise the importance of this industry and to make sure it's getting the respect and the services and uh, the fairness it deserves and needs, it's such an incredible opportunity. I'm incredibly grateful. I'm grateful every day. And I see this as a position of service from beginning to end. And I, even though a lot of people say a lot of things about government and that it's slow and unfair and bureaucratic, it is also one of the largest, most philanthropic entities I've ever witnessed and been a part of. There's a solution and an office and a person for everything. And what it has been missing is that bridge between the industry and and the services and the people that can help it and not hurt it. And the Office of Nightlife is that bridge. So, you know, I'm a big supporter of you. I'm a big supporter of the office. But I just want to close out saying, even putting aside any policies that you support, don't support, good things, bad things, otherwise, why I was so excited when you got appointed and why I'm continually enthused is that I know this industry and this work is in your blood. We've had conversations even before we knew they were going to create this office, and this is what you wanted to do. And I feel the same passion for the work that I do. It's almost like you don't know what the hell else you would do if you weren't doing this. And I think when someone can bring that care and that passion to a job, it's critically important and they will do everything in their power to reach the best outcome for the most people. So I will say the city of New York made a great decision hiring you. I wish you 
all the best. I look forward to continuing to work with you. And I know where to find you. But if someone wanted to find you, the office, how do they do that? First of all, thank you for that. And I feel equally as enthusiastic about oh, you. Oh, mutual admiration yes, club we are, right here. We are brothers in arms. Mm-hmm. The Office of Nightlife is so, you know, exponentially more powerful and helpful because of all the work that you do in the Alliance. I oh, mean, tell me more. It's all true. We do have a phone number, actually. It's 212-974-4055. Can I find you like online yeah, or something? Our website is nyc.gov slash nightlife. We also have our social handles, NYC Nightlife gov that's our instagram and our facebook this has been great we will continue to talk i definitely encourage anyone who operates any nightlife venue to reach out of the office i know that you'll do everything you can possibly do to help them if residents or other people that have some sort of stake in nightlife in the nighttime economy they should certainly at a minimum be familiar with your office and hopefully get engaged and i will do everything to continue to be an advocate to ensure that both the city council and the mayor's office are supportive of this office because i really in my heart believe that it is such a good thing for the city of new york and i know we both love this place so so much I'm with you all the way. Yes, high fives. High fives. And next year, we're doing a whole year of just education, workshops, and panels to share everything that we've learned in regard to red tape and regulation, safe spaces, harm reduction, social justice, to help even prevent any further issues. Ariel Pallett, the Senior Executive of the New York City Office of Nightlife. It has been a pleasure to speak with you. And to you, to be continued. You got it. Thank you for listening to Hospitality and Politics. This show is powered by the New York City Hospitality Alliance. As always, I am your host, Andrew Ridgey. Make sure to subscribe if you liked what you heard wherever you get your podcasts. That can be Spotify, iTunes, or anywhere else. You can find me at Andrew Ridgey. That's A-N-D-R-E-W-R-I-G-I-E on Instagram. That's Political Foodie NYC. And make sure to follow the New York City Hospitality Alliance. That's at the NYC Alliance, both on Instagram and Twitter. And then New York City Hospitality Alliance is the name on Facebook and LinkedIn. New York City Hospitality Alliance is a leading nonprofit organization representing restaurant nightlife establishments in the halls of government. We are the organization providing operators the information, education, support they need to run a successful business here in New York City. We often call it the restaurant capital of the world and the city that never sleeps. So thanks for checking out the show. Glad you enjoyed it. Thank you to Ariel Pallets of the city's Office of Nightlife for sharing all this wisdom and information. Make sure to listen again. Thanks and talk to you soon.